I don't know about you, but I love celebrations. I like things that come together that are all about pushing the pause button on life and then allowing just that moment to captivate everything about uh, the, the inner relationships, the, the conversations, the, the joy that's in everyone's heart. And maybe you can relate to that, maybe you can't. But I can assure you that all over the world there is this expression that is going before God's throne room that is saying he is alive, he is risen, and because of that I am a new creation. And if the Lord has directed you here, uh, chances are uh, you're here for a variety of reasons. One is uh, maybe you're a member here. The other one is maybe uh, you, you're just checking it out. It could be that you are sort of coerced to be here, uh, so you're here under duress. Uh, but you know what? Uh, that's okay because God uses every different way that uh, imaginable pathway to uh, to His presence to uh, to, to to get uh, His word across to hearts that um, maybe aren't aren't sure that He's worth tuning into. So hopefully today uh, He can speak to your life, and I think there's no better time to have that happen than during a celebration. Now, over the years, I've been uh, witness to uh, a variety of celebrations that had to do with sporting events. And maybe you have as well. Maybe your favorite team. Uh, I, I know if you're a Chicago uh, Cubs fan, uh, there's never really a celebration over the World Series. But one of these days, maybe there will be. Uh, I'm not going to go uh, even farther east of there, only to say that I'm from Illinois, and uh, our team was uh, on the dividing line between St. Louis and Chicago, and uh, many of us were Cardinal fans. And how elated I was when I went to college in St. Louis and was able to go to a variety of Cardinal games and only spend about $6 for bleacher tickets. Can you imagine $6? I mean, that's just crazy. But as uh, we did that uh, one year, uh, they were ramping up towards a very successful season that finally ended with them uh, winning their division. And it, it, it was just electric. And the opponent in the uh, American League was the Kansas City Royals and it was just that highway connecting the two, Interstate 70 uh, that represented uh, the two warring factions and I was so excited uh, when the Cardinals uh, came out and they were beating uh, the Royals and it uh, ended up being a give and take thing until the seventh game and of course as you know it a bad call was made and the Cardinals lost um, but the interesting thing about those celebrations, we were celebrating euphorically up to that point, and then it was like, oh, defeat, and now depression. Uh, but we were always thinking there's always next year. The thing that I'm glad that didn't happen, and, and unfortunately doesn't happen with sporting events when great victories are accomplished, is uh, it, it isn't like there's a parade that Kansas City has every year that says, yeah, you remember back in 1985, we beat the Cardinals? Just every year we're going to have beat the Cardinals day and celebrate that with fanfare. Uh, no, those victories, they come and they go. Most people don't remember them. And yet there's a victory that has happened that occurred 2,000 years ago in very subtle and off-the-radar uh, ways that uh, began to build such momentum and such influence uh, that it's captivated the hearts and minds of literally billions of people uh, across the globe and through time. And it's a small, subtle story 
that as it began to grow and expand, just blew up. And I, I'd like for, uh, uh, for all of us just to see how the kids would have understood this story because it speaks to my heart as I watch it. And then I want to talk about how this story makes a difference uh, in your life and mine. From the book of John, chapter 20. Jesus was dead. Mary Magdalene was sure of it because she had seen him die on a cross Friday afternoon. Later that evening, two of Jesus' friends, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, took Jesus' body, wrapped it in linen cloths, and laid it to rest in a cave cut into the rock. Mary had seen them do it. Now, three days later, Mary arrived in the garden. There's the cluster of olive trees. She scanned the dark shapes of trees and rocks, looking for the large stone that she knew would be pulled over the entrance to the tomb. I must be close. The light slowly grew. Ahead, Mary could see a dark hole in the rock. That's it. But where's the stone? Heart pounding, she stooped down to peer inside. Though it was dark, she could see what she needed to know. It's empty. Without stopping to think, she rushed out of the garden and ran to the home where Jesus' friends were staying. Open the door. Quick. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. John flung the door open. Wait. What? He stared at Mary as he ran his hand through must hair. Peter crowded in behind, rubbing sleepy eyes. Jesus is gone. I don't know where they've put him. Peter and John gaped in shock for a moment. Then Peter grabbed his cloak. Come on. Peter hurtled out the door. John followed after him, with Mary close behind. Peter, wait up. I'm not letting you slow me down. <sighs> Fine. John put on a burst of speed as they approached the garden. He raced past Peter, and he reached the open mouth of the cave first. And there, he stood back in amazement. <sighs> There's no body. But Peter, the linen strips they wrapped him in are still here. Let me see. Peter shoved past John straight into the tomb. You're right. And look, here's the cloth that was wrapped around his face. John crouched down and crowded in beside Peter. If they took his body... They who? I don't know. The soldiers or, or the high priest. But why would they do it? I don't know. Come on. We've got to tell the others and decide what to do. Peter and John left the garden, but Mary Magdalene stayed behind, exhausted with all the running and the tears. It seemed that everything Jesus had done with the teaching and healing and gathering followers should end this way. Who's playing a trick on us now? The sun was nearly up and the light was much brighter. Mary bent down to get a better look inside the tomb. What she discovered made her heart nearly stop. Two angels sat inside, robed in white. You weren't here before. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. I must be imagining things. Mary turned away, confused, as the rising sun burst over the treetops. A man stood just behind her. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary shook her head, trying to figure out who would be walking around out here this early. Maybe it was the gardener. Sir, did you carry him away? Tell me where you put him. I'll go get him. The man looked straight into her eyes and smiled. Mary, slowly... 
Mary looked up into the man's face. It was Jesus. Teacher! Mary found herself laughing and crying at the same time. She fell down and, and buried her face in his robe. Jesus was alive! Don't hold on to me. Reaching down, Jesus gently raised Mary to her feet. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Instead, go to those who believe in me. Tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Yes, of course. I'll tell them. I am um, ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Just as Jesus instructed, Mary hurried back to find his friends. <laughs> she had completely forgotten her exhaustion and tears. Open the door, quick! Once again, John cracked open the door, Peter right behind him. I've seen him! I've seen the Lord! You found his body? No, I've seen him! Alive! Alive? Alive! Over the next few weeks, Jesus appeared to his closest friends and then to nearly 500 people. He is living proof that no matter what happens, God loves you. One thing that we try to make clear with our kids is that this story here is going to be one that they're going to carry with them the rest of their lives. And as they're taking it in, they're thinking how great it was that Jesus rose from the dead. A lot of little kids have been through death and, and trauma and seen grandparents and, and all, of, all, of the, uh, all of the confusing things about going through calling hours at a funeral home. And when they hear something like that, that's their frame of reference. But did you know there's a lot more to the significance behind what we just heard that I think as you're here in this room, maybe God can speak to what is happening in your life. Uh, I, I, I know that I'm, uh, I'm kind of midway through life. I've got a few miles on the clock. And that story speaks to me at 50 different than it did at 10. And the one thing that, that jumps out is how the Apostle Paul took that story and he summarized in one sentence the difference that story can make for a person who receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior and I want to make you aware of this uh, particular thought that Paul had uh, this morning because I, I think if you walk out of here knowing this, it truly is a game changer. And it comes from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in it, he wrote just something that is memorable, it is portable, uh, and it is easy to share. And, and it says essentially this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. And as I'm reading that, that may or may not seem exciting to you. But perhaps as we process it together, uh, it can make a lot of sense in ways that you never really thought. I want to take for a minute and just personalize what Paul said here. Because I think he intended it this way. When he said anyone, it just means all of us in this room. And I want to show it differently. Let's, uh, let's show it this way. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for us to read this together. And as you're reading it, where you see the underline or the blank space, I'd like for you to insert your name. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and, and run through that and see how that actually works. Therefore, if is in Christ is a new creation. 
The old has gone and the new is here. I hope you inserted your name in there, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, because it is a promise uh, that has consequences in a good way. And if you haven't, perhaps it's a promise that God said as he directed you here this morning for whatever reason, through whatever path, uh, he wanted to allow you to, to see something maybe fresh that you hadn't considered before when it, when it comes to God. And a few minutes ago, I talked about the idea of a celebration. And as it has gone from a, a, a small story that Jesus told of all people, a, a female in that culture, and he said, you go first and you tell everyone. It was his way of just affirming everybody that this message is for everybody and for all time. She told it to a few, they told it to some more, and on it just rippled out through space and place and time. Well, as it did, it, it, it contained some promises that people began to, 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 uh, to, to integrate into their lives. And let me just illustrate it this way. I don't know if anybody here plays the lottery or not, but uh, maybe you bought a ticket back in December or January, maybe you didn't, uh, that eventually on January 13th revealed uh, that there was about $983 million that would go to the lucky winner. You guys remember that? And if you actually took that uh, over time, it totaled up to over $1.5 billion uh, with interest in an annuity. Pretty amazing stuff. Now, have you ever thought for a minute, now maybe, maybe you play the lottery and maybe you're like, no, that's not for me, but have you ever just in your wildest dreams thought, if I won, this is what I would do. Maybe this is your opportunity. Pastor said I should process this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I, what I think about that. And, and, and maybe your first thought was, I would just like to pay off some debt. I've got a lot of debt. It's hanging over my head. And I think... $980 million should service it. If it doesn't, then I would say let it collect interest and do it over time. And also you've got big issues that maybe we can't even tackle here. But if you had that kind of debt paid off or anything lesser than that, I'm sure it would be a huge relief. But let's say that there was some money left over. What would you do? Maybe you're thinking, all right, now at that point, I would go out and I'd buy something new. I'd buy a new car, new boat, new motorcycle. Maybe I'm 50-something, I'm not looking so hot. I might buy some body modifications that will freshen things up a little bit. Whatever it is, there's this sense that, yeah, I can get something new, and I look forward to getting it and integrating that into my life. And wouldn't it be great if, um, if God would just say, all right, I'm going to let you all win the lottery. Well, in one sense he has, because he's taken the deepest concern that we have, the one that keeps us up at night, and it has less to do with our physical debt as much as it has a lot to do with the moral things in our lives, with the spiritual things in our lives, with the things that make our mind ill at ease. And cause us to, to, to really have uh, regrets. And, and, and when we have our public persona, we project ourselves one way. But in, in, in the privacy of our own home, perhaps the thoughts run uh, a little bit differently. And, and as they do, 
I want you to understand that God has done something through Jesus that can change that dynamic. Now, how does that dynamic play out? If you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you've got and you're not rushed and you've got a little bit of time, maybe you're looking at at your own eyes and you're looking into your soul and you're saying, "Yeah, man, I I I I I just as I go into this day, I've got some baggage." And when we think about our identity, initially we'll think about um, just some surfacey things. Like if you meet somebody, what's the first question oftentimes out of our mouths? Where do you, where do you go to church? Good for you, A+. Plus. <laughs> Others will say, where do you work? Right? And it has a lot to do with our identity because we immediately start sizing up the person based on their, based on their occupation. And in my case, you know, somebody says, what do you do? I say, well, I, I'm a pastor. Now, that could be good or that could be bad. One of the side benefits of that vocation, you know what it is? Is the language immediately gets cleaned up. I just don't hear a lot. Somebody said there's something called an F-bomb. Not sure what that is. I'm still waiting to find that out. Um, and, 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 you know... Uh, but anyhow, um, it's, it's decent that people consider that. I know that day's probably slip, slipping away. But as I see myself as a pastor, I know that is a big part of my identity. But in my role, um, sometimes I'm good at it. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I have my off days. Uh, so I could look in the mirror and I could say, you know, so glad the Easter service went so well. Or I could say, man, I really have some regrets. Uh, not just about the Easter service, but about things I've said over time, things that I've done over time that still kind of haunt me. And maybe that begins to cascade in, in your life as well as you're doing a little bit of, yeah, let's just look at what's there. And you're thinking, um, well, you know what? Some people said some pretty mean things to me a while back. And so now, you know, I feel unworthy. Um, and I was excluded by some people, and I feel unloved. And, and, and the list can just go on and on and on. And pretty soon, when we look in the mirror, what we see is the result of living in an imperfect world with an imperfect body, an imperfect mind around other people that are imperfect as well. And there's, there's always going to be some negative effect from that. And it just gets jammed up into our, into our souls. Did you know when God looks at you, that's not the first thing that he sees. What he sees initially is, I, I can only relate to how a parent looks at their children. Uh, especially as they're just newly formed and getting their start in the world. It's just a, an expression of joy. And first question is, does that kid look more like me or does that kid look more like their mom? And that conversation will go on through the course of their, of their childhood. Usually it's like their mom when they're not doing well and when like their dad when they're, they're doing a proud moment. But when God sees us, it's always to some degree a proud moment because you are created in his image and his likeness. And like anyone who loves their children, you will, you, will, you will do everything to ensure 
that they land well on their feet. And God has seen the legacy of humanity over time. And he knows it's not a great story. And he brought himself into our world in the form of a man, in the form of Jesus. So that we could begin to move in another direction. Not through any power that we have over our lives. Because we all know there are things in our lives that, um, well, honestly, they're not very godly. Maybe they're, you could call them, you know, sinful. And when we look in the, when we look in the mirror, it could be like the guy who looks in the mirror and he says, Oh my goodness, I, I could, I'm, I could use a few, lose a few pounds and... Man, I'm not, I'm kind of ugly and I'm just not, I just, you know, I, I just don't really look so great anymore. And, and, you know, he's really starting to pile on and his wife is standing by him and she's looking at him, hearing all this stuff. And then he says, you know, I feel so bad about myself. I could use some words of encouragement. And, and, the, and the wife, uh, thinking fast, quick on her feet, said, well, at least your eyes are working okay. And, and, and as he's receiving that compliment, uh, he's thinking, I just died a little bit right there. And God is thinking, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. When you see yourself in the mirror, you see that. When I see you, I see you made in my image and my likeness. And maybe that is the thing that we need to talk about for a moment. If, um, if you have a debt, it could be because of that. Because you've wronged someone and you feel guilty about it. You've wronged the Lord. Uh, you've made some bad choices and you know that that bell can't be unrung. Or things have happened in your life to you that weren't of your own fault, but they set in motion a series of responses to other people that, quite honestly, you're all tied up in that as well. Maybe in, in your formative experiences, someone said to you, you know, you're not as good as that other person. Or maybe they were just blatantly uh, trying to put you down, and it could even be a parent in their anger or their frustration, saying you're ugly or you're, you're, you're not as perfect as the other person or you're 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 probably not going to go anywhere in life and expanding on that thread talking about perhaps you know how um you're just not good enough or fast enough or 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 just defeating types of descriptions that are a script that program your life and you go into relationships later on and you bring that sense of who you are into that, and you realize, I, I, I'm, I'm doomed. I, I'm never going to have a good view of myself. I'm never going to have a good view of other people. The same people that were supposed to love me betrayed me by either saying things like that, or they abandoned me. And you feel that sense of, I'll, I'll never really be that perfect human being that I wish I could be. And as that begins to expand on itself, sin becomes more and more part of the equation. It actually maybe is an escape mechanism. Maybe it causes you to have a, an extramarital relationship because, well, things aren't working so good in that one. Or maybe it causes you to, to take from your workplace and, and you're like, you know, I just don't have enough money to make ends meet. And on and on it goes. And God sees all of that. 
And that's what the Bible calls sin. We don't like that word. We've tried to eliminate it from our vocabulary and dress it up a little bit. But the reason God calls it that is it's just another way of saying we, we are at our less than optimal self in his eyes. Now, the interesting thing about sin is um, we don't like to talk about it. And when we do, we talk very negatively about it. But let me just tell you something about sin. Why do so many people do it? Why? Because it's fun. I mean, if you do sinful things in that moment, they are just full of promise. And uh, they just bring a sense of false life and liveliness to it. And maybe you've been doing it for a while and you, and you feel like, I don't really see where this is going to impact me negatively. But the reality is, the Bible says sin is fun for a season, but then after that, it brings in a type of death. It finds a way of consequentially working out so that you are even more dehumanized and God is even more broken in his heart. I know that's pretty heavy stuff. So let's just have fun for a minute. And um, let's just look, turn to our neighbor, if you want to. Just indulge me for a minute. And just say to them, you're a sinner. Okay. All right. Some of you are a little too gleeful about this. So I'm going to put the brakes on it for it takes on a life of its own. And uh, it was kind of fun, wasn't it? You point the finger at somebody and say, yeah, you're a sinner. And I got to say that in church and I wasn't even being judgmental. Uh, church is that place, though, where we're found out. Because as God speaks to us in something like that, maybe he's telling the pastor right now, direct them to say to the person next to them, I'm a sinner. Oh, your enthusiasm is contagious. That's harder, isn't it? It's hard for us to tell somebody around us, yeah, I'm a sinner too. Because we just don't want to go there. But God says you kind of have to go there because it's all part of getting you in a better place. You know, Jesus said you'll, you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And he wasn't just saying you'll know the Bible story. He was saying you'll also know some things about yourself that are, are, are damaging and messing you up. But I want you to know that if you are in Christ, you can become a new creation. And it's an awesome, awesome thought to consider that the resurrection has that much power that it flows out of the tomb through 20, 21 centuries and it still speaks to us into our hearts and it still creates a change in us that we cannot find in any other source. And I think it's so cool because as God has done that through his son, he has given us a sense of establishing the best relationship in our life so that through that relationship, everything else could come together. Now, I have relationships, friendships, I guess, with Many people in this room. And over time, the relationships kind of work. Sometimes they work favorably. Sometimes they're not so good. Maybe because we don't bring our best to them. And at times we feel like, yeah, you know, I, I just want to avoid that person because I, well, I'm, I'm carrying shame. Or I'm carrying a debt. And all of those things create a distance and a tension. 
And what God has said is, yeah, there is a debt. But the debt's been paid. And it was paid on a bloodstained cross. And if you don't know the story, it went something like this. About 2,000 plus years ago, God saw this whole dilemma and he said, I not only want to pay the debt, but I want to give them something new to look forward to. And it began. In very humble circumstances, a young lady had a child as she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. That child was, from the standpoint of DNA, uh, perfect. And from the standpoint of his attitude and response to God, it was always centered on his will, not, not, not that child's will. He grew up over time and began to make an impression on people around him, starting with a baptism that his cousin had, uh, had, had done for him in the Jordan River. And from that, for three years, he went from town to town, community to community, and he looked in the eyes and the souls of everyone that he saw, and he saw their pain, and he saw all that stuff, that identity stuff that they had basically allowed to define themselves, and he began to show them a new way. But the credibility for that picture to come alive had to be done through a heart that loves and shows compassion. So when he ran into somebody, he would say, you know, I, I see this is going on in your world. I would like to help you. And if it was healing, the scripture records numerous healings that he did. And coupled with that, words that said, and he showed compassion on them. And it was just a pattern over and over and over. And over time, after three years, people seeing this pattern said, Jesus has something divine in his character and quality. He's not like the religious people. He, he loves. And he's kind. And he's caring. But he also doesn't take anything from the religious leaders. He puts them in their place. And so he is his own person, and he's not a pleaser. He just shows love, but he speaks the truth. And as his credibility went up with the community, there were a few people who said, he's changing the rules of the religious game, and we, we've, got to, uh, we've got to address that. See, a lot of people were thinking, yeah, all of that bad stuff, it does, it does describe me for sure. But I know if I do enough good things, if I sell enough Girl Scout cookies or buy enough Girl Scout cookies, if I support a child from the third world, if, I, um, you know, if I'm positive in the community, then whatever debt load I have, I can offset that with all the good things that I can offer. And it's sort of like, okay, in balance, there's more good than there's bad. And so I've made it right with God. And God, when Jesus came, saw that sort of sense of, yeah, I'm just going to right the wrongs. And the religious leaders were the pathway to do that. And people were using different religious expressions to try to get close to God as an act of good work. And Jesus called it out and he said, you're just playing a game and you're trying to cover up. But this is stuff you can't cover up. He even went so far to say, you religious leaders, oh, you're so beautiful on the outside. A perfectly manicured, whitewashed tomb. 
and inside old crusty bones. And he called them out and they did not like that. And so they conspired through a mock trial to take him out of the equation that ultimately would lead to his death and the end of that kind of business. The trial resulted in a beating. The beating resulted in a humiliation. The humiliation ended up with an innocent man on a cross showing to the world only eyes of love and compassion at every turn. And when Jesus did that, he said, I, I am so bound up in my identity and my character with love that I can't help but be but loving even when I'm being slapped in the face by a hand that I played a role in creating. That's how much God loves us. And maybe that list is one that you carry around with you every day. And it's a list you know all too well, but it's a list that God knows even better. He is so intimate with that list that when Jesus carefully folded up his grave clothes, we actually see this cloth of death on him. And it was his way of being shrouded in all of that stuff that goes to describe our imperfect experience here on earth. And it's all of that toxic, dehumanizing, negative, and in a lot of ways, just evil stuff that we carry around. And his death was his way of saying, I'm, I'm taking that, I'm taking that with me. And when I'm done, I'm going to fold it up and I'm going to put it aside and we're going to move on. Because when he came out of that grave, it was not so much the fact that he came back to life, but that rather he showed us that it starts with a death. And if any of us in this room have experienced that death alongside him, you know what I mean. And there are others who are like, I have no idea what the preacher is talking about right now. And as you're looking at this tomb, Christians through time and space have looked at that tomb and they were instructed by Jesus himself to look at that tomb and then identify with that tomb by going into that tomb with him. And we do that on a pretty frequent basis around here when a person is buried in the waters of baptism and identifying with the death of Christ, taking on the death of Christ themselves, and dying to that old self that was that old identity that was pictured on that mirror. And when that happens, a new self emerges. And you are no longer these things so much as you are a new creation in Christ. And when God looks at you, He sees something happening that's a change that says you're no longer caught up in that, but rather you are now alive with me. The old is gone, the new has come. And when God looks at us, it's more like this. That stuff isn't on there anymore. It's just clean. Just as white as snow. And God is saying... I can do that to your soul. And I can help you to be that 
forever. But it doesn't start with religious activity, but rather it starts with my son. And John 1.14 says, For as many of those of you who believe in him and receive him, I've adopted as into my own family as my own child. And Jesus, he loves children. And that's all of us. And he died for all of us. And for some of us, that's soaked in pretty deep. Because we've carried one of these around that hasn't looked so good for too long. And now we've traded it off. And we have a peace and a joy. And we're part of a celebration that just never stops. And God maybe has called you into this place because an empty tomb and an empty cross are his declaration to you that things have changed. Some of you may be wearing a cross right now on your person, and, and that's certainly a great symbol. And it's a, it's a wonderful decoration, I guess, if you, if you put it in different places. The reality is, it is a bold statement. It is a bold declaration that Jesus died for our sins. It's too bad empty tombs aren't so glamorous. We could wear those too. Just to remind ourselves that it wasn't just a debt paid, but now it's a new creation given. And that's the exciting thing about being a follower of Jesus. That no matter what is happening out there with whoever the leaders are, whoever the terrorists are, whoever the chaos makers are, in God's kingdom, eventually it's all going to be made right. And eventually we'll be part of that new creation where there is no more tears, no more, no more frustration, no more anger, no more sins that bind us up, and no more death. Evil and all of their forms are gone, and all is made new. And it's a promise that we are walking into. And I know it's a promise that my friend... Matt Bender, a.k.a. Jesus, uh, uh, has claimed, and it is, so, it is so endearing to him that he's contagious about it. So he'll tell me about different people that he's been praying for, that he's been working on. And um, there's, there's a couple of them, um, Jacob Krugel and Jan Graves, who... Myself and Matt have been talking about for a while and praying for. And I am so gratified to be in this place in this moment where they're going to come forward and they're going to be baptized in front of us, identifying with those very realities that we've just described. The thing I'd like to just share with you is that is the symbol that we participate in that helps us to identify with Jesus in these very powerful ways. And maybe it's one that God is calling you into. Now, the water's warm. And there are plenty of robes. So anybody who wants to get baptized, Matt's happy, happy to baptize them. And I'll help for sure. But uh, uh, Matt, I'd like for you to come forward wherever you are. There you are. And um, I'd like for uh, Jen and Jacob to come forward and, and, um, and just... Uh, just want you to know we are so glad that you guys are honoring God the way you have. And I know that um, you're looking forward to getting married 
um, eventually, and this is going to be the foundation for your lives together. And I'm so grateful that you know you've made the effort to uh, to, to to investigate who God is and to learn more about Him and reading the Purpose Driven Life and coming to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that Matt has been such a good mentor and influencer in in your lives. But because this is a, a public experience where you're becoming part of a of a large family. Uh, we just want to hear your own words as, as I have you repeat after me the good confession uh, that, that, you, that you, are, uh, you, you truly believe. So just repeat after me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And I know you do. And we're so excited that this is a, a, a day in your life that will be a monument in time. And it's Easter, so it won't be hard to forget either. So uh, Matt's going to take them back, and um, you're going to go from Jesus to John the Baptizer, Matt the Baptizer, <laughs> which is pretty cool. You're a multi-tool guy. Yeah. Awesome, guys. All right, thank you. All right, God bless. Okay, all right. So, yeah, that's good. That's cool. All right, well, the offer stands, but if you, um, if you feel like the Lord is moving in your life and you aren't sure, uh, just catch us after the service or put on your Connect card. I'd just like to have a conversation about this. Can you help me? And we'd love to follow up on that because we know that if the Lord's doing something here, it's pretty important and we need to listen.